and uh, and there's always plenty to pray for him, man. You know, I, I've started uh, keeping track of a journal this year. I wanted to keep track of all the things, all the people and things I'm praying for, praying about, praying uh, with, um, interceding. And so I've been keeping this journal with me and writing down my, you know, not necessarily my prayers, but the people I'm praying for, why I'm praying for them. And then like anytime there's a testimony or anything to it or, or a result or whatever that is, whatever the end result is, I'm writing it down as well. And I think maybe by the end of the year, we could see some awesome testimonies through that. So I, I kind of like I'm doing it for me, but I'm going to share it. I think maybe when we get to the end of the year, just seal of all the things that just how the Lord works, you know, and uh, this is the great part about journaling, being able to document some of that and like we prayed for these. Remember when we were praying for this and bam, this is what actually was the result of that. So we can see some of these things. So I'm just not ready to jump off the subject of prayer. Not yet. I, I've been smitten uh, a lot this week by the words of Jesus uh, when he said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And uh, he doesn't refer to the house as anything else uh, than the house of prayer. Uh, it doesn't have any other name that we know of other than the house of prayer. It's not called the house of, I've, you know, I've been saying this last week, it's not called the house of programs, it's not called the house of men's ministry and women's ministries and children's and youth ministries. It's called the house of prayer. What the house of God is known for is its prayer life. Let me say that again. What the house of God is known for is its prayer life. If there was ever going to be uh, uh, something that we associated ourselves with, you know, uh, uh, to this morning I was being asked about my Marine Corps background by some people at work, and and uh, the uh, that one of the things that uh, uh, I was telling them, you know, they they were talking about just the reputation of the Marine Corps and stuff. There's a nice thing that's associated with that. That I, you know, my nephew was out here talking about going in the military, and he was asking me about the Marine Corps as well. And uh, some of you got to meet him and. There's this neat thing, like I told you, it's like, hey, you know, when you're part of a service, you get all the reputation that comes with, with that. Well, you know, the reputation of the church is the house of prayer. That's the reputation of the church, or what it's supposed to be, right? When I say the word Marine, when I say the word Army, Navy, whatever, it has its own reputation. As soon as you say it, it's almost its own vision of what, uh, or the idea of what you're talking about. Well, if, if the church is called the house of prayer, that should be the first thing we think of. And it should be the direction or the vision of the church to be moved towards that and not anything else. Uh, but when I look at the church, when I look at things like that in general, I don't see it. I don't see it. Uh, a pastor friend of mine called me up this week, Pastor Robert. Uh, I'm eventually going to introduce you if you hadn't met him. Uh, I was telling him that uh, if we were to look at this as a missionary statement or as a visionary, so I'm kind of exploring it out, talking it out loud, um, uh, and was saying, is this what the church does the most? Is, is what we do the most is pray, or do we do a lot of other things? His answer was the same as mine, basically, when we kind of were talking. It was like, no, it's not. It's not. The church isn't known for its prayer life. It's known for a lot of things, but its prayer life is not one of them. Uh, and when I asked him why he thought this, uh, he, you know, his, his answer kind of the same as mine, that the prayer service is, is the least populated service of the church. Truth. Just truth. Go to any church, less than 10% of the church is going to come to the prayer service. If we were to have nights of prayer, less than 10% would show up, right? And, and there's, he's right, man, right? When he says that stuff, he's right. I can't deny any of that. He's right. He's like, listen, I'll start out a prayer service. It'll start out great. And then over time, it'll dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And, uh, and, and he said, so we tend not to spend a lot of time on anything that looks like it's dying. Right? We, just, we don't put our efforts into something that looks like it's on the edge of death, that is dwindling down, it doesn't seem productive. So we put our energy and our time into the things that look successful or appear successful that people want to be a part of. And that's, where, that's why our men's ministries, children's ministry, youth ministries, these things look populated. And because they're populated, we invest in them. The irony is we don't invest in prayer. I started to think about this, and I, I literally, in the spirit, when we were kind of talking back and forth, this is kind of how iron sharpens iron, where we're kind of fleshing an idea out, right? And I was like, I wonder if Gideon felt that way. Gideon's sitting there getting ready for the battle at hand, knowing he needs to do something about it. Gideon has the same idea we all do. We win by numbers, just by the sheer attrition of numbers. If it's 10 to 1, I feel pretty good that I'm going to win, Right? The problem with that is God said, you got too many. <laughs> and Gideon had to watch as God dwindled his numbers down. God, I barely got enough to get the job done. 
Yeah, but that's perfect. That's exactly where you need to be. And I started to wonder, I was like, you know, one of the things I said to Robert, I said, uh, he goes, yeah, because he was sitting there saying, he goes like, you know, he said, those numbers just start dwindling, dwindling. I said, I wonder if that's how Gideon felt right before the victory. You know, the irony of the prayer service is, I heard Lynn Ravenhill say, he called it this one time, and I think it's great. He called it the Cinderella of the church. She's the scorned one, right? The one that doesn't look like she's the princess, but she is. Make no mistake about it, right? And that's the kind of neat thing. We watch God do this a lot where he dwindles down numbers. He makes it feel like it's impossible. I mean, when you start to, if you read the Old Testament, you have to really know, like, the idea of a prayer service is kind of a joke in the Old Testament. When Elijah wants to reign, or when they needed rain, who prayed? Did they organize corporate prayer? No. One person grabbed the attention of God and brought rain, right? When he wanted to shut the rain down, what did he do? With a word, he shut the rain down. I love the book of Samuel where it says that anything that Samuel prayed happened, that his words never fell on deaf ears with the Lord, that everything he said happened. One person, one person who in a right standing with the Lord could make the difference. And the Old Testament teaches that. When we watch the New Testament, I think it does too. Yeah, we see the power of prayer and numbers when we see the upper room and everything falls out. But can I tell you, uh, uh, last I saw, there was like, uh, we always talk about Jesus fed the 5,000. And then we try to throw in all the other numbers. Well, it just said 5,000 men. You know, when you start adding the women and the children and everybody else that was following, now we're getting, you know, more than 5,000, however number we want to guess that to be, right? We could say, oh, it was as many as 10,000. Where were they in the upper room? Where were they when it was time to really follow Jesus? Like, where were they? At the end of the day, it was still just a couple, it was just like 100 people up here in this upper room, all praying, you know, waiting for God to do something, and then it happens, right? Still such a small number, right? 100 people praying produced 3,000. I mean, come on, Acts 2, 100 people praying produced 3,000. You know, it produced salvation, man. It produced a lot of things, right? Jesus prayed by himself a lot. And it produced a lot of fruit. It produced a lot of fruit. So I wonder sometimes if uh, God isn't dwindling our numbers just to sort this thing out. Like, all right, let's just get to the prayer warriors. Let's just get to the ones that are going to pray, man. You know? And, and, and listen, God, God's got love for those who struggle in that. Look, at he loved Peter. Peter was right next to him all the time sleeping. <laughs> Golly. I mean, how many of us would just love to sit next to Jesus while he prays? Peter had the opportunity, and he found it downright boring. <laughs> think about this it makes you wonder if if jesus was as charismatic as we are right i mean is jesus out there praying like sometimes we do god i am telling you and like we're going to speak like as if we speak louder he'll hear us better right and so we're loud and we're charismatic and we're boisterous right you know ain't nobody going to sleep next to us because we're loud i mean we're charismatic people we're aggressive and stuff like that but jesus Apparently not so much because everybody struggled just not going to sleep next to him. So Jesus must be one of those quiet praying guys, you know. Is he praying or is he really sleeping too? You know, Jesus wake up every five minutes. Why are y'all sleeping? Man, we thought you were. <laughs> I wonder about that sometimes. Listen, and, and, and I, I think a lot of us, we start off prayer, we have good intention, and we all want to be a good prayer warrior, but difficulty, adversity comes, distracts us, uh, uh, subverts us into thinking about other areas of our life. Uh, I, I honestly believe that the devil can keep us uh, from praying. He has little to fear. I do. I do. And as long as, we don't, as long as we're not the house of prayer, the devil has little to worry about. Look at this world. Look at this world. I just think that's the truth. The devil isn't against comfort. He's not against wealth. He's not against anything that keeps you from praying. <laughs> think about that. Matter of fact, he'll give it to you if you quit. You can enjoy it. Remember, what, what is con one of the constant themes of the Psalms is why did the wicked prosper? Maybe because it keeps them from praying. You know, I'm just saying, right? Look at all the stuff that Jesus was offered in the desert. He was offered wealth. He was offered all the kingdoms of this world. Listen, they'll all bow at you right here, just not up there, right? He was offered, you know, everything. The devil has schemes, and sometimes they're disguised as success and popularity. It's just the truth, and that's what we learn from the desert. And this leads us to me right in our subject today, and I want us to look at the life of King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat. We are going to be in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles around 1920. 1920. You can turn it to 20 just for keepsakes. 2 Chronicles. 20. And, and let me give it kind of a heads up as we arrive there. After David and Solomon passed away, the line of David began to have some family issues. 
So much so that Israel has become divided into two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Israel now, the kingdom of Judah. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king in the kingdom of Judah. He became king at the age of 35. Pretty young guy, right? He would stay a king until he was 60. Um, He started off on the right track, as a matter of fact. He pursued the Lord. He kind of reestablished ministry in the land by taking down all the false idols and false religions. He created this reputation for himself as a man of God. And the Lord did bless Jehoshaphat uh, with an abundance of everything for doing the right things uh, uh, at times. His kingdom was financially secure. He had everything he needed. And these were good times for Judah and even good times for Israel. And while this sounds like the, like the feel-good part of the story, it's actually a catalyst for some rough times that are coming. Because money is, listen, money's a good thing until we put it upon the throne of the Lord. All right, then it becomes something that leads us to death. And uh, uh, um, money secures a lot of creature comforts, yeah, and through comfort, Bad decisions start getting made because you just want to stay comfortable. Uh, For instance, uh, here's where a bad decision begins. He ends up married to Jezebel's daughter. That's a bad idea. If you don't know who Jezebel is, she's a really bad woman, uh, kind of always referred to as a scandalous woman today, even as a a surname. People understand the word Jezebel without even understanding the Bible because it will always be known as a wicked woman, you know, and he ends up marrying the wicked woman's daughter. Not a smart idea. Listen, I don't care how pretty she is. Uh, If she acts like the devil, I don't want nothing to do with her. Come on now. That's just, uh, that's the way that is, right? Wealth and comfort had created issues within the heart of Jehoshaphat, things that he began to struggle with, and all this zeal that he had when he was young and beginning, it began to now diminish. His eyes had started to gaze upon other things because it's security and comfort. It's a time of peace at that time, right? And all of this eventually left him in the middle of a war that kind of starts in chapter 19. We're going to begin in chapter 20, but it kind of starts there, this thing where his eyes start to gaze. And basically what's going to happen is there's going to be this thing that begins to scare him a bit and put him out of comfort. And as soon as he's out of comfort, he's kind of scared straight back towards God. And that's a good place to be. I saw this a lot in youth ministry. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble. Time to pray, right? I mean, this is the story of Jehoshaphat. If, you, if everybody, I think, relates to that, hardly like, oh, I, I don't pray much. I don't pray much. Uh, let, let something happen in your life that's dramatic, and all of a sudden, it's amazing how you'll become a prayer warrior, you know? Um, and, and I really think uh, like this, Jehoshaphat, he's like a lot of us, right? He struggles to get a grip on his faith, to get a grip on his life. He struggles getting swept up in the culture. We see that a lot. Uh, there's a lot of beauty in this world, and some people get swept up into some of that. He makes bad decisions. He gets himself in trouble from time to time. Uh, but what I think is great about this, some, somebody obviously made an impact in his life early on because the one thing he keeps coming back to is the Lord, and that's a good thing. So we pick it up, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 4 here real quick, and we'll just start here. It says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the uh, Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazen Temar. This was another name for Engedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people all uh, from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just pray that you're able to take uh, your word this morning, the word uh, straight from uh, the very book you've left us, God, and you would make it be a seed that will grow into something more, God. And Lord, let it be defined by uh, each person, Lord, and and whatever that needs to be, that their ears need to be open and their heart be attentive to the things it's saying to them, God. Let your voice be the voice they hear this morning and not mine, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, I'm, in, I'm, I'm all about a good fight, and that's basically what's about to happen. It, 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 in a lot of you, you've heard this about me. It's a huge part of my growing up. I think about uh, just about every year I was in school, from the time I was in like third grade, I've been in a fight. That's not a It's like for real. Uh, uh, I've always been amazed, I guess more in my life, because I've fought so much in my life. I'm always amazed when I meet people who've never actually been hit ever. 
I'm like, oh, how did you escape like life without that yet? You know, like it's hard for me to fathom that. Like, uh, but maybe like I realize that not everybody has the uh, poor mouth that I have at times, and I did not have the willpower at times to control my mouth. And my mouth wrote a lot of checks that it could not cash, and people came to collect. And and and. Uh, uh, and so that I, I, I struggled in that. I mean, I'm all for a good fight, right? And, 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 um, but, but listen, three to one, that's what's about to happen here. Three nations rising up against one. I'm not going to lie. I'd probably like tuck tail and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I said. I apologize. I don't want any part of this. Um, and, and this is what Jehoshaphat's kind of faced with, right? But the problem for him is that running isn't an option. He doesn't get to run on this deal. This isn't like three guys coming to beat you up and all you lose is your reputation out of the deal. This is three nations coming to destroy his nation, right? The enemy is approaching. Rumors have already begun to stir. Uh, by the way, when it says the word vast in the passage, it means bigger than you can imagine. That's what vast means. Uh, like I have this idea of how bad it could be, but no, it's worse. Uh, the enemy's about to invade. The kingdom's about to be somebody else's. All right, which means that those good days are leaving us. Uh, they're facing either a total annihilation or, to me, worse is slavery, where you just sit in it and you become the slaves of other nations. Uh, and what do you do? What do you do? I mean, everything was good, and now it's not. What do you do? Jehoshaphat, well, he falls on his face. You know, the big question when we look at something like this is when things get tough, what are you doing? What are you doing when things get tough? I mean, if, are you praying? And if not, why not, right? How, how, I can't tell you how many people I see exhaust themselves and their strength trying to fix things that they can't fix or worry about things that they can't do anything about. You know, I try to remind my wife at times when she struggles with a little anxiety about thinking about something that's in the future, that's four or five months later, you know, she, you know she, we're, facing, we're, we're gonna work out some things here where she's working out uh, at where I work kind of temporary because she's going to leave her job and be more of a stay-at-home wife right now. Well, she struggles thinking about what our finances are going to be. I'm like, I don't care what they're going to be. It'll work out. The Lord is good to us. We'll figure this out, right? But when she struggles with that anxiety of those things, I remind her, you know, anxiety is temporary atheism. Just the truth. Anxiety is temporary atheism. Do you not believe the Lord is who he says he is? Do you think the Lord would let us fall and die? No, the Lord's going to take care of us. He always has. He's created a reputation of our life as someone who's always going to look after us and take care of us. Why fret now? Why fret now? You know, God has built a reputation with you. Trust him for his reputation. Trust him. You know, and, and it just sometimes we need that reminding. But that's the thing. What do we do when that comes over? Do we remind ourselves? Do we go back to the Lord and remind ourselves who he is? Do we talk to him? Do we pray? Do we surrender to the act of prayer? Right? Do we surrender the issue to God? Those are the things we should be doing. Look back at the prayer for Jehoshaphat in verse 5. It says, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when, you were, when, when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, wherever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now, see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around, they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they, they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh God, won't you stop them? We're powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. That's a great line. I love how this prayer resembles Habakkuk's. Remember Habakkuk's, Lord, I have heard what you've done in the past. Now see what we're doing now. See, see how, will you see us now and answer us? I love that. That's kind of the same way, right? More specifically, I think it's more like we don't, we don't know what to do, but we're looking to you. 
right? Just break it down. It's about as easy as it can be. We don't know what to do in this situation, God, but we're going to look to you. We know that you do, right? I, I think if we're honest, um, as Jehoshaphat is in this, that we just admit with all of our wisdom that we just don't have a clue at times. Like, I, I love it that it's the king that has to admit this. Like, there, I think there are times where our pride gets the best, and we think, oh, man, because we're an adult, because we've been living and we've been doing this a while, like, we have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't, you're not going to know everything. Be okay with that. Be okay with not knowing everything. It's okay. It's okay to say that you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue what tomorrow's going to hold. That's okay. But you know who holds tomorrow. Amen? Right? Listen, I, I know that sounds cliche, but it's true. It is true. And I, I know, how, you know, one of the things that I have to learn as a pastor that's made me release a lot of these things, I have no idea how to change someone's heart. I have no idea. If I could just do it with words, it'd already be done. But I, I, don't, have any, I, I don't have an idea. I, don't have no, I have no idea how to preach in a way where you understand everything that always comes out of my mouth. I don't know how to do that. I can just do my best. I have, no how to do, I have no idea how to be like the perfect friend. I don't know how to be a perfect dad. I promise you, my kids will tell you, I am not the perfect dad. I, I am not the perfect pastor. I'm not, right? I haven't got a clue sometimes what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen in our future. But I know who does. That part I know. I know who holds the future. I know who has the ability to make all things happen or not happen. I know who can bring back to life that which is dead. I, I know who can save you from the very things that you're going through right now. I know that person, right? Jehoshaphat's prayer is basically saying this. I don't know what to do, but I am looking to you. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Usually when people come to me and they're broken because something's happened in my life, I'm like, finally. Because it's a broken person that God uses. It's a broken person that God uses. In the New Testament, Jesus kind of relayed the same idea or the same principle. He did a little different. You know how to turn there. But in Luke 15, he tells the story of the prodigal son. Some of you know this. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, Jesus says that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son, the son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to uh, be in need. And so he went away, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out. Go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father filled him, filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around and kissed him. And, I, and some of you know the rest of the story. I'm not going to get into it. I, I wrote it or I got it on here, but I'm not going to read it all because I don't think I have to. I, I, I think there are just some deep truths in the story and there's a whole lot to preach in there. But for the sake of, of, of time and just getting straight to it. Um, there needs to be a moment, no matter how far we get from the Lord, where we just come to our senses. It's the broken and contrite heart that God hears. The pride, he, has not, he, he doesn't hear pride. Pride's the one that says, well, I don't really need God. I just, I'm going to do all this myself. That's pride. God's not listening to that. God's not hearing you when you're like that. Oh, he hears you, and he goes, you know what? I'm just going to let you figure it out then. You know, the, the irony when God's, the God says, I love the King James Version because it says God's going to give you over to you a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind means that God's just going to say, you know what? You want to make your own decision? I'm going to let you. Jeremiah says it even better. It scares me worse. God says, you know what I'm going to do as a punishment? I'm going to say yes to everything you ask. And that's my punishment to you. Watch how dumb you are. That's what God's like. I'm going to sit back. That's God saying that, right? God's going to sit back and go, look how dumb your decisions are. You are the, your life is the result of your own stupidity. Since you want everything your way and your heart is so funny, this is the result of me just saying yes to everything you ask. That's, that's scary to me. 
Like it starts to make me think when I read what God is saying to, in that, in that, you know, in Jeremiah, it's God saying, I'm going to say yes to these things. And Paul's like, I'm just going to give your own reprobate mind. Re- reprobate, that word there in the King James means I'm going to give you over to your own crazy self. That's what he's saying. Your, your dumbness and stupidity, I'm just going to let you be that way. Rather than change you, mold you, create wisdom and discernment in you, I'm just going to let you stay dumb. And then I'm not going to change you. I'm not going to shape your heart. I'm going to stay out of it. You want me out of it? I'll stay out of it. Make your own decisions and see what your life turns out to be. And usually as pastors, this is where we see everybody, right? Oh, I don't know why my life is this way. I do. You're dumb. You think, everything, you think you're so smart that you can figure it all out on your own. And so you live your life in such a way where you never ask God, you never talk to God, you never seek out the Lord. And what's the pastor say when you come to him? Most of you already know the answer, right? Because you've probably been there, right? What does the pastor say? Like most of the time I can tell you what I say when everybody's, what do you think I should do? I don't know. What did the Lord say to do? Well, I haven't really asked him. Well, that's probably the first thing I would ask because I'm not as smart as God. So the first thing I would ask is, what did God say? Well, he hadn't said anything. I have asked. Then you know what I would say? Well, keep asking, and maybe nothing means no. Well, but I really, no, 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 no. If the Lord says no, it's no. But the Lord, you just need to understand, no, 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 no. By the way, the irony is, you already know this because you deal with your kids. Your kids are here to teach you how crazy you are when you're asking God for stuff. But mom, you don't understand. I really need this. No, 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 because you're going to play with it for like two days, and then it's going to sit in the corner and collect dust. And, and you know, I, I told somebody to be mean one time. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start buying gifts for all of you, all of your kids that require batteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think nobody wants that now. You realize that how, how mean that is, right? Because it lasts for like a week because the kid keeps punching that button until that thing quits working. And they're like, I need more batteries. Like, uh-uh, I'm never buying batteries for that thing. I don't want to hear it again, Right? That's what I'm saying. Like you already do, your kids are there. You have kids to teach you how the Lord is, and you don't pay attention. Sometimes no is a good answer. Sometimes no means if if you trust me that when I say no or when I say nothing, right? That means sit still, don't do anything. Like sometimes, sometimes nothing means step out in faith. Here's what I understand. Like this is where I love some of the people I've prayed with over the years who've said, I'm going to pray for every decision, then whatever decision comes out during the day, I'm just going to trust that's the will of the Lord. So when it doesn't go my way, guess what? That's the will of the Lord. And they're okay with it. it it's not comfortable, but they prayed about their decisions that day, which means that if the Lord says no, then it's no. If it goes bad, then it went bad, and that's just the way it is. And it's okay. The Lord is still good. The Lord meant no. <laughs> the Lord said no, and I either didn't listen or you know, that's just how it has to be. I needed a lesson to learn. I needed some humility to come out of this that I don't know at all, that not every decision I make is going to be the best decision, and that humility alone is always going to drive me to my knees with the Lord again. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. But this is where we're at. Jehoshaphat's the same way. I'm doing good. Everything's great in my life. Uh, every, I mean, this is so familiar, so familiar, especially I saw it a lot in student ministry. I see it a lot with adults. Everything's good. Oh, man, all our life is really good right now. Everything is good. And because everything is good, you know, I'm not necessarily going to church as much as I should. And I'm not hanging out. I'm not reading the Bible like I should because I'm comfortable. Life's really good for me right now. I don't have to worry about a lot of these things. So I've, I'm going to take a step back a little bit because I can rest now. I can relax a little bit. All of a sudden, life starts to go sour and all. I don't know what to do. And I wasn't really prepared for this. Of course you weren't because you decided that you were lazy and you were comfortable all of a sudden and and in your comfort you got lax and and you you just decided this is your life was okay and that nothing was going to harm you and whatever false craziness allowed you to believe that and all of a sudden you're finding yourself just like Jehoshaphat God I don't know how I ended up here but will you save me yeah I know how you ended up there you were wealthy and you were lazy and you were comfortable and you didn't have any worries physically about you, right? And you ended up in this situation because of your own stupidity. That's how you ended up in this situation. You know why you didn't notice until they were on your doorstep about attacking? Because you were too busy, lazy, enjoying everything, all the comforts that your house could buy rather than watching the enemy when the enemy was there. A great story I once heard in a book uh, uh, was about American Indians there by Niagara. I might have shared some of this at one time, but it's, it's a great story. I always remember it, and, and it talks about the obliviousness we are when we start staring at the culture, and we're lost within our own life, and this explorer had uh, come along, and he wanted to see these, this, this uh, spectacle, which is Niagara Falls, right? But at this time, remember, there is no like tourism. This is all American Indians uh, back in that day, and 
And what happens is, is the Indian guides him out to the edge where he can see it, and he's in awe of it. And the roar of the falls are just roaring, and you know how it's loud because all that water is just pouring in. And all of a sudden, the Indian taps him on the shoulder and goes, we've got to go. And he goes, what, what, what's going on? He goes, man, the enemy's approaching. And he goes, where? And he goes, you didn't hear the twig snap? And, and the idea of the whole story is this. Some, are, some of us are so in tune to the roar of life, right? The, the whole roar of everything. We're enamored by what we see. We're, we've let our guard down because we're so busy looking, gazing upon the things that the culture is wanting to show us or gazing upon the things that are distracting us from what? From the enemy that's approaching. Oh, see, the Indians had seen Niagara Falls. They, they had tuned their ears out from the roar so they could hear anybody creeping up from behind them so they knew when it was safe to look and when it was not safe to look. They had, they had created a culture within themselves to always be alert and aware. Christianity, the problem we have here, especially as Americans, is the culture is overwhelming. Entertainment is overwhelming. Sports is overwhelming. All these things are overwhelming. They demand our attention. And the whole problem, what happens in the midst of it, I don't know when this happened, but all of a sudden my kids are going through this or I'm going through this in life. And I can't remember what happens. Well, I remember when it happened. It happened when everything else became more important than God. That's when it happened, right? Everybody, I, I see people all the time as their kids get older, like, I don't know why my kids like to. I do, because your kid, first of all, has been your God your whole life, right? You've made your kid your God where you're at every function they do under the sun, and church always takes a back step, and God always takes a back step to your kid. And then you wonder, like, as youth master, I saw this all the time, right? I, one of the worst things I think I ever felt is we had a kid come who, like, whose cell phone just couldn't be parted from her hand, right? And when we tried to say, hey, we need to turn it off, or you can put it up, a lot of sass mouth happened there. Parents allowed that kind of attitude to happen because they were upset at us because we were going to take the phone and set it away. So they were so upset at us for wanting to take away the phone that was distracting her from the Lord that they came and picked her up. I would find out two years later she would eventually have a kid. Good job parenting. <laughs> you were willing to pick her up and be angry because we were going to take her cell phone? She needed a whole lot more than that cell phone. I mean, come on. We are so distracted from the world. We're so distracted by our kids at times that we, we give in. It's, it's comfort because it's, it's easier to give in than it is to be say no sometimes. I wonder if God thinks like that too. It's hard to tell y'all guys no. But if you saw what I saw, you would say no. Like, God, I want to go on the other side of this hill. You can't see on the other side of this hill. You don't want to go over there. No, I do. God, meanwhile, 30,000 feet up, he can see the enemy sitting on the other side. You're, and he's like, well, why can't I? Well, I'm telling you, it's not good for you over there. Maybe he's not telling you everything because maybe you wouldn't understand everything. But you got to trust him sometimes that God sees more than you. God might know more than you. And the thing is, this is life. God, God asks you to trust him. <laughs> he's not going to share with you what's on the other side of your decisions. He's asking you in faith to trust him. Trust him. We've got to get to that point. We've got to come to a place where we're so desperate with the Lord that we get down on our knees. We have to, right? I've heard, it say, I've heard it said that, that we should work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. And I agree. I agree. I know a lot of us work and work, and we're no better off. But then there comes a time where no more work can be done, and we must pray. And we've got to be able to throw our hands up, begin to pour ourselves out before the Lord. I've often asked myself, I wonder if this is why the Lord loves the poor so much. You know, there, uh, I don't know if any of you have seen it. There's a, there's a musical called Fiddler on the Roof. And uh, there's a man in it named Tibia. And Tivia is a Jewish man who's oppressed uh, by like Russian oligarchs, and and uh, uh, in the in the musical uh, he has this he's Jewish and so he's very devout. And one of the statements he makes that I really love, he goes, "God, you must really love poor people because you've made so many." And and uh, and but one of the things that is neat about the musical is that uh, he's driven to prayer because of his poorness. And there's it's an interesting concept to me, this idea of, God, you made so many poor people, you know, you, know, uh, you must love them so much because you made so many. This interesting idea that it's the poor that inherit the earth. They're one of the first people Jesus addresses. There's always going to be the poor amongst you. Take care of them. He doesn't, listen, he ain't trying to tell you to fix them where they're not poor. Isn't that interesting? There's always going to be the poor among you. Get over it. Help them. Help them. 
All right, just help them. That's what he asked. That's what I love about it. And Jesus has this sympathetic notion towards the poor. The poor always need him. I wonder if that's what they have. That's why they have his heart so great. And I think that's our biggest issue, right? I don't think we ever see ourselves as Jehoshaphat. I don't think we ever see ourselves. We see ourselves as the good side of Jehoshaphat. The part in chapter 19 where it says he's a good man. He did right things before the Lord. And he removed all these stuff out of the houses. And he did all these things. And you're good. You're inherently good. And even, I would dare say, godly. It doesn't make you God's man or God's woman, but you're definitely godly. You do things right. You've removed the things that are out of your house that need to be out of your house. You're not watching the things that you shouldn't be watching. You're not listening to the things you shouldn't be listening to. You're doing things right. You're doing things right. And some of you are like Jehoshaphat, and you think it's enough. And, and the story of Jehoshaphat is that it's not. That eventually that, that thinking of him being a righteous person is what eventually puts him on his knees because it makes him lazy. And, and this is where we're at. with this. Listening to the prayer of Jehoshaphat is the one that probably closest resembles to every prayer that I hear or every person that I hear really here in America. Where the majority of people I understand that are going to talk to me about prayer, they're going to talk to me about stuff like this, are Christians. They love Jesus. They're trying to do right things. But they're lazy in their belief. They're like Jehoshaphat. They've done good things, and they're good inherently. It's not about being great here. It's about knowing your place with the Lord. It's about knowing that you need the Lord all the time, all the time, that there's never a time like you've arrived. Uh, I think one of the greatest things uh, I've heard said about pastors is that God saves some men and makes them pastors just so they'll stay saved. Uh, that resonates with me. I think there's this constant fire, a constant whip on my back all the time, like I'm never good enough, uh, which, by the way, I recognize all the things that Scripture tells me. Scripture tells me that I'm beloved of the Father, right? Scripture tells me that I am saved, that I, that I, and I feel the security of salvation. I feel that. I don't ever feel like I'm unsaved, but I never feel perfect. Uh, I never feel like I've arrived. I always feel like I'm struggling. And, and, you know, and, the, and the weird thing is, is like, listen, I'm kind of happy about it. And the reason why is it's what drives me to my knees all the time. It's what makes me pick up my Bible every week and make sure that I'm reading my Bible. It's what makes me uh, realize, like, you know, like even this year has been a very breakout year, I feel like, between me and the Lord, just personally between me and the Lord, because I feel like this year has been going to be like this incredible year. And this is the year where I think for Mosaic it's going to be an incredible year. And you know why I think it? Because just God, I feel like God's with me this year, like more than he has. Not that he hadn't been with me before, but I mean, like I feel like God's out in front of me for the first time. And, and now instead of me walking by faith, I feel like now I get to follow again. I, can, I, I have this visual, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, eyesight line where I can see the Lord moving and working. And I, and I feel him working within me through the Holy Spirit. I can feel it in my tongue. Uh, I, I already know that it's happening in the pulpit, right? Because I know you hear it. Because if I'm changing, you're going to hear the change through my mouth. Because that's the thing about preachers. Uh, by the way, you better be, if you're good in your heart uh, and you're not good in your heart, it comes out your mouth. All right. You eventually will say it if you're not doing right. You can tell. You can tell when the Lord begins to move. You can tell when the prayer life starts to shift. The great thing about David Brainer's journal, his whole prayer journal, is that it's like melancholy for weeks on end. But then you know when he has a breakthrough because you could just tell. You can tell like life is hard. Life is hard. Life is heaven all of a sudden. And then there's just this walk all of a sudden where the Lord is with you and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. And this is where the power of prayer comes in. This is where the part with you can be broken like Jehoshaphat and realize, look, at all the good I've done has obviously led me nowhere. It's led me right to a place where the enemy's on my door. So for all the things that I did, for all the things that I found myself at, for all the place that I realized I was at, I have found myself now in this position uh, regardless of the decisions that I've made before, it doesn't matter what I did in my past. It doesn't matter how good I was, right? It doesn't matter of all the good things I did. Listen, even as pastoring, it doesn't matter what I did 10 years ago pastoring. What matters is what I do today, right? Can't live in the past. I don't care who you were two years ago. Who are you right now, right? Jehoshaphat, you did great things. You started out good. You were doing great. Listen, a lot of people kill themselves with guilt. A lot of them kill, like a lot of people don't make it to where Jehoshaphat is. You know what they do? They like get prideful in that moment. 
Like, I'm, I'm a good guy. I do everything right. The Lord's blessed me. Look at my nation. We're wealthy. We're prosperous. No, I'm right. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to go fight them because the Lord's with me. And then they get slaughtered, right? Because you don't have, you're so vain and you're so prideful, you can't see it. The difference here, the lesson we're to take away from Jehoshaphat is this. There has to be a time where we realize we have to be honest enough with ourselves to know where the fall has begun. I mean, truthfully, when people come up to me and they talk about, I need prayer for this, or what, when they're asking me advice and they're asking me anything, 98% or 99% of the time it can be solved with, do you read your Bible daily and do you pray? Truthfully, truthfully, if I could just teach you the basics and you just practice the basics of our faith, read your Bible daily. I don't care if it's for five minutes. Pick scripture, write one scripture down in your journal, write something else about it underneath it. It could just be this big across like five or six lines. Read your Bible daily. Write a little journal page about it, whatever, and pray. Even if it's for five or ten minutes daily, I promise you, I promise you, your life will dramatically change. And I promise you, you'll be more spiritual than about 90% of the Christians out there. There are a ton of people that attend church in this city, but not very many of them are spiritual. Truth. And I'm telling you, there's pastors that would agree. <laughs> the hardest thing to get anybody to do in, this, in, in Christianity is just to be a Christian. Because <laughs> it's not about how you act. Listen. Don't worry about the things you say or how you act. If you'll read your Bible and pray, it will change the way you act and change the way you talk. Quit worrying about the outward things. Jehoshaphat and the story of Jehoshaphat is about an inward thing. You know, the great thing about Jehoshaphat, the great thing about Habakkuk, the great thing about a lot of these prayers that we hear and we've been studying on, they all recognize, they all have one thing in common. They all reference God of the past. They know God from the previous generations before them. How, how do they know that? They've read it. Listen, to expand your prayer life and your prayer talk with God, it helps to know God. You know, some of the greatest TV shows we watch uh, uh, that, that go into character development, they do so when we get all these backstories where we understand characters. I'm a big Star Wars guy. Love Star Wars, love all that stuff. The cool thing is when we got to see how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, right? We have this whole backstory. They developed this whole character so we can know everything about him. Guess what? There's this thing called the Bible, and it's God's complete backstory. So that when you begin to pray now in the present, right, you have his reputation to pray upon, right? And it sets up the table of prayer. It sets it up. The house of prayer now becomes this place where God has a reputation. And if you knew his reputation, you might pray a little different. Pray with some confidence. Walk in some confidence. I was listening to somebody talk about praying the other day. They, they uh, were praying about this uh, material that we're getting for the park. And, and uh, they saw this beautiful piece of granite. And they were like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great for the park. Well, they go in there and ask about it. Like, out of all the pieces of granite we have, this is the only one that's taken. And they walked outside. They laid hands on that piece of granite. Go, God, I'm just saying you need to do whatever you need to do. But this piece of granite, we're going to call it ours in the name of Jesus. And two days later, these people called back. Go, I don't know what happened, but they just said they didn't want it now. When you know the Lord, you can be bold like that. When you know that the Lord will move things around, even the simplest things. Even things that are little. You think it would have been a big deal? No, it wouldn't have mattered what granite we would have got. It wouldn't have mattered. But that you ask. Even little things. God is bold. And you know what? That became their testimony. They told that story. You know how it became their witnessing story? That's a crazy story to witness to about the power of God in prayer. Right? That seems so simple. And so, but it, man, they prayed about it. It was something else. God, God's got that somebody had told, oh, this is, oh, this is somebody else's. You can't have this one. Well, I'm going to ask the Lord about it. You're not the final say. Ask the Lord, and then the Lord will be the final say, right? Oh, but you don't understand. I've, I've got sickness, or I've, you know, I've got this disease, or I've got whatever. No, 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 no. I'm going to ask the Lord. You don't, you don't get to be the final say. You're not the final say. The Lord is the final say. I love Paul, and Paul said, man, I prayed that this sickness be taken from me, and the Lord said no. <laughs> so what's Paul do? Oh, in my grace, God's big enough. I'll survive. I'll, I'm just going to keep preaching then. Okay. 
right? And I honestly think that God allowed it because Paul probably would have struggled with pride. I mean, Paul came from the tribe of Benjamin, which would have made him an heir to the throne of you know, Saul. And, I mean, that's a big tribe, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. That would be one of the tribes that really helped bring him out of Egypt. And, I mean, there's a lot of history to his backstory. And he is a genius when it comes to theology. So what am I going to do to keep Paul down, to keep him from getting too out there? I'm going to let some Paul suffer with some things. And we're going to keep his spirit in check so Paul can walk in joy the rest of his life. And some of us will go, how is that joy? I don't know. Ask Paul. Look, do you, is there ever a time where he complains about it? No. No. And yet he walked in sickness his whole life there. At the end, he walked in sickness and he walked in prison his whole life. And did you hear him complain? Man, when he was in prison, how you know many people he witnessed to? Because of him being a prisoner, he ends up in Rome witnessing to Caesar? That God stuck him in front of everybody important. Like, all because of the things he ended up in his life. And these things we pray against. Can you imagine if Joseph would have like, you know what? I'm not going to pray for, we can bring worship back in. I'm not going to pray for uh, this uh, dream to happen where all my brothers bow to me. I don't want any part of that, Lord. Can you imagine that? If God would have told him, hey, I need to take one for the team, bud. I need you to uh, make sure your brothers hate you and that they would sell you into slavery and then uh, you're going to be working for an Egyptian named Potiphar, and his wife's going to accuse you of rape, and I need you to just sit in prison for three years. Are we good? Are we good? You know? No, we're not good. <laughs> Lord, I can, see, I can hear us all. Lord, I need you to pick somebody else. I am not worthy of this. This is a great honor, Lord, but I got to pass. You know? <laughs> can you? I mean, come on, man. Let's just be honest. God isn't going to tell us everything, because if he told us everything, we might not walk through it. Do you really want to walk through suffering? No. No. We, are creature, we love comfort. We love it, man. We wouldn't willingly go into this, but I'm going to tell you there are times where that comfort is going to lead you to a place just like Jehoshaphat. And you're going to find yourself on your knees, which is a good place to be. But you don't have to be there in the first place if you'll stay on your knees. Jehoshaphat started out great, and if he'd have just stayed on his knees from the beginning didn't have to be that way now the lord delivers him out of it delivers him out of it but he didn't have to be in it praise god he did send it to him or else he wouldn't have Jehoshaphat's a funny that's a funny thing he ends up where he's like he's one edge he's one foot in and one foot out all the time and the problem i see with Jehoshaphat, like i said he's the most honest honestly like current christian i've ever seen like he is exactly how most people in the church are they're half in and they're half out. They're all for God when they need Him. And then they're all for their own life when it suits them. Mainly because of comfort. Comfort drives them right out of the church again. And when life gets hard, it drives them right back to their knees again. And I see that all the time. In youth ministry, it's like we would always say, like, you know, we'll just keep getting them saved every week. And one of these times it's going to stick. You know? Or like, how many baptisms does it take to make it last? I don't know but we're going to keep dunking you in the water till you come out right. You know, that's just how it's going to be. And, and listen, the life of the Christian, and I, we've said this before as worship is, is coming, is really about getting back up. Everybody falls. Everybody fails. Everybody trips up and ends up in and out, even me. Early on before I started ministry, I found myself in and out. I found myself mad at church. If you hadn't been mad at church yet, man, you hadn't been at church long. Um, if you hadn't been the religious Pharisee yet, you hadn't been at church long. You know that part where you think you're better than everybody else because you do everything right and you keep coming to church and that somehow makes you more saved and better off than everybody else? No, like that, that, if that doesn't happen to you, I'm telling you it will. At some point, you will start to think because you come more, you're like more spiritual. That's not true either. That's not true either. You know how you'll figure that one out real quick is when somebody comes to the church and it's like the first time and then there's like some big offering that happens to go like, God told me to give you a thousand dollars. You're like, I've been in church for 20 years. God never gave me no thousand dollars, right? Like that'll happen to you real quick. You get unholy real quick when something like that happens. You're like, I've been in faithful, Lord, and you give me nothing. Like, I'm sitting over here, you know, trying to do right by you, Lord. <laughs> listen, listen. Each person has their own walk. Don't look at anybody else's. Just focus on yours. The great part about having the Bible is that we can reference these different people. Habakkuk is a great man who finds himself in a horrible situation. 
Isaiah says, I ain't even worthy enough, Lord. And the Lord sends a coal to burn his lips so he at least feels worthy enough. Right? I mean, like, you start to look back at all these guys. Elijah didn't think he was great. Elijah always thought he was a loner. I always felt bad for the, his servant because it always says he has a servant, right? And remember when he prays in the, in the cave, Lord, I'm all alone. I can hear the other guy going, I am right here. I'm right here. Listen, you're not alone. This is all of us. We're all in this together. I'm the same as you. I have moments where everything is great, everything is great, and it's like, Lord, it's all going down now. It's burning up, right? And then I've got to hit my knees and remind myself, no, my God is big. God's in control. I believe in a sovereign God, a God who is not surprised by anything, right? And if God is not surprised, then why should I worry? Why should I worry, right? The, the lesson today is that we recognize the moments that we're in. And when things start to get comfortable and lazy, we start to realize, are we still all in? Are we still all in? Or are we letting all these distractions get the best of us so that every time anything happens, it's always a crisis? Can't be that way all the time. You can change that. All you have to do is have a relationship with God. You, some of us just know God, but I'm telling you, you've got to have a relationship with God. That means it's ongoing. The same way you talk to your spouse, the same way you talk to your kids, you talk to them all the time. When you talk to them all the time, you don't have this worry or concern all the time, right? Because you've built this relationship where you're talking back and forth. If you have that with the Lord, you won't have these moments of crisis. They won't happen. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen, but it means when they do, you're like, well, we're going to get through this. Why? Because my God's a big God. Well, what's, how do you know? How do you know what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen, but I know my God. I know that God loves me. I know that God says he'll uphold me. He'll sustain me. I know that even says when it gets tough, his grace is sufficient, right? That even when God says no, he says I'm enough. Right? I know this why because I've built a relationship with the Lord. I've read the words He's already written and I hear the words He's already speaking to me now. Right? And we take the lesson right out of Jehoshaphat. When it gets bad, what do we do? We go down our knees. When it's good, guess what we do? We go straight down to our knees. Right? Right now, things are good. But that doesn't mean we stop praying. That doesn't mean we stop our spiritual life. We stop our walk. No, we keep moving along, keep working it along. And the Lord is good. He's faithful. Jehoshaphat, what does he find out? He finds out that the Lord is faithful. Let's worship this morning the faithful Lord. Thank you that in times of doubt, Lord, you rescue. 